every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lying on the floor, flopping around like a <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, hope he pitches me to whoever it is. Like, if you think that way, then you're just trying to use people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Yeah. He pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. As soon as you start telling stories and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast. Now, today we're talking with someone extremely exciting and interesting, as per usual, <laughs> and that person is Randy Thomas. She is a live announcer primarily, but uh, she also does promo and commercial and stuff like that. But you will almost definitely know her if you're not familiar with her name. You certainly know her voice. She is the voice of the Oscars, the Emmys, the Tonys. She's done pretty much every high-profile live announced gig in this country, and of course, many other projects too. But today's focus of discussion is live announcing, and we cover everything you need to know. So if that's a, a genre of voiceover that you're interested in, good news for you. <laughs> and if not, it's still a very interesting and illuminating insight. You should also check out Randy's TED Talk. She gave a really, really fascinating TED Talk recently, so just search Randy Thomas TED Talk. I've posted a link in our Facebook group, which you should join, by the way. <laughs> also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram, and most importantly, become a Patreon supporter. So, um, yep, like us, subscribe on iTunes and Google and all that fun stuff, and that helps us. I don't know how, but apparently it does. And I'm going to stop waffling, and we're going to have an ad, and then it's Randy time. The National Zoo. <laughs> because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot in Spain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Okay, it's my pleasure to be joined by Randy Thomas today, and we're going to be talking about live announcing. So uh, before we get started, Randy, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Jamie. Okay, so uh, it's very exciting. Um, it's a subject that we haven't really talked about at all on this podcast up until this point. Uh, so we're going to go uh, through every little detail, <laughs> um, <laughs> how it works and but firstly, I want to find out a little bit about how you got started in this industry and then how you en ended up doing this kind of work. So what was, your, what was your journey into this industry like? 
Well, my journey began as the very beginning, the genesis of it was that I wanted to be an actor, an actress. And uh, ever since I was a kid and studied acting and was in school theater, and I moved to New York to be an actor, uh, to study, became a waitress to support myself. And it was then that I heard a DJ on the radio named Allison Steele. And that pushed me into realizing uh, when I left New York because I was not a triple threat. And I thought, if you can't sing, dance, and act, you might as well leave leave town because Broadway's got that covered. Um, so I went back to Detroit, Michigan, where I'm from, and I became a DJ. Um, it happened for me. It was at a very fortuitous time for women who wanted to get into broadcasting. They really were mostly men. So I got to be the first woman on a lot of radio stations because that happened. And that journey took me down the road 20 years of being a DJ to being in Los Angeles and getting invited to do the Academy Awards as the first woman in history. It was an audition that I was asked to uh, take part in. Wow. Um, in. In voiceover, I had done a couple of other things, some commercials and whatnot, but that was that moment that everything changed for me, and I knew live announcing would be my future. So you say it was a fortuitous time. Was that, was, did something happen that made that, uh, that change happen, or was, or was it mm. something that you, you pushed your way in? You know what? It's so interesting. Um, Scott Rummel, who came, mm-hmm. can I tell tell sort of a, a long story to make Go your for point? It. Yeah. Uh, so Scott Rummel came and spoke at my voiceover mastery uh, retreat in Solvang, California, and it was with the twelve amazing committed actors in the field of trailers and promo. And he talked about the book by um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell called uh, Outliers. And outliers are people who have become incredibly successful for whatever reason. And then he started to figure out, well, is there a science to this? Does this make sense? And and it all comes down to 10,000 hours that you have to do in order to attain mastery. And so for me to have been uh, born um, in the, the 50s and growing up in the 60s, 70s, it was when everything changed for women. I mean, as a kid, I grew up only listening to male DJs on the radio, and I never heard a woman telling me what program was coming up next on television um, until the time where I became of age, and sure enough, I became a DJ. Then I became the first woman in history to do the Oscars and and actually all of the, the big live shows because, not all of them, but for the most part, uh, because they had never used a woman. So I think it happened just by virtue of being born when I was and right. how things changed in the 60s and 70s. And did you receive any pushback at the time did you did you notice it or do you look back and think oh yeah god i really put some people's noses out of joint or you know what i never perceived it as that you know i was a girl that grew up kind of tomboyish i grew up with three brothers and i'd be more likely to be outside tossing a football around with them so when i became the first woman dj at a radio station that was filled with men i just felt like they were my brothers you know i never 
thought of it as I'm the only woman at the time. I was single, of course, because I was young, and it was. I, I think maybe the only negativity I felt were probably either from the girlfriends or wives of my oh. fellow DJs, right. <laughs> but um, not from management. But you know, at the time, it was like every station wanted. A woman, and back in the day, if you applied, and they they'd say, you know, oh, we already have a woman. <laughs> oh. They'd have six guys, but we already have a woman, so we're good. So yeah, that changed. I mean, now you can turn on the radio, and you hear women up and down the dial all day and night. Uh, you listen to live announce uh, award shows, and it's lots of different women, different sounding women. My friend Keisha Monk did the Soul Train Awards the other night, and she was a, a mentee of mine who I have encouraged to do this work, and it's her third year in a row doing the Soul Train Awards. So, um, yeah, so I feel really blessed that I was born at the time that I was. I took advantage and had a, of the opportunities given to me, and I had a dream to be heard, I guess, you know? Yeah. I think those of us that want to be performers, you were a musician, right? Yeah, originally. So yeah. you, it, the love of music drove you, but also wanting to perform, right? Wanting to be yeah. seen and go get those kind of strokes. Yeah, absolutely. And so your first, your first uh, port of call was radio. Um, Correct. What was that? Was there a transition? We talk about it all the time, the transition from radio to voiceover being a little challenging sometimes. Was there a transition for you? So again, I got to be at the right at the curve. So hmm. I literally left radio in the 90s ahead of a lot of people that I know in radio. And at the time, but it wasn't by choice. I was fired. <laughs> I did oh. the Academy Awards. And then three months later, my radio station fired me to make a change in the morning show and put someone else on. So I had no control in that. But sometimes I think that the universe has a better plan for you because I didn't know how to let go of radio. It had been that security blanket I had used for 20 years. And it was kind of the universe's way of telling me it's time for you to do something more. You can do something bigger here. And um, I left radio and my husband was in the record business at the time and he got radio stations to take me on as an imaging voice. I was one of the first mm. women to do that for radio. And um, so, yeah, so that's how I landed in full-time voiceover after getting fired from radio was to just become the voice of radio stations as the first woman doing it. And, uh, you know, then I started doing other things. When I was a DJ, I became the voice of Hooked on Phonics. I don't know if you remember that product. Oh, uh, yes. There was a yep. commercial that I would say, Get Hooked on Phonics. Call 1-800-A-B-C-D-E-F-G. <laughs> so that was um, a commercial, and I was actually the teaching voice of that program on on the product itself so um that was a pretty big opportunity for me and and that lasted quite a few years so this was in the remind me when this was mid 90s is that where you when you said this transition this was happened? in yeah this lasted up until the mid 90s it actually right. started when i was a dj on kmet the rock station here in la yeah and um 
That was in the 80s, and that was a result of phonics being taken out of the schools. Kids were having trouble and struggling with learning to read, and this product came along, and it it really helped a lot of kids. It was, you know, mnemonic. It was music and, you know, the phonics combined. So uh, it worked. And this was back when the industry was in its sort of... (laughs) previous iteration, I, would, I suppose you would say pre-pay-to-play sites and non-union work proliferating. So was that the sort of old model? Were you union talent and going in for sessions and all that kind of stuff? Or was this transition? Well, at the time, it was something that wasn't, I don't think the union had a jurisdiction for it. So yeah. when that first started, Um, as an educational product or whatever it was, we just started recording it. But that was really time-consuming because each lesson was 22 minutes long and it had to be repeated three times. And so I literally had to do each lesson three times, 22 minutes long, and there were an endless amount of lessons. It took a very long time to do the program. But once we went digital and I could walk into a studio, get it correct once they would just paste it three times into the program so it took like a third of the time once we got into the 90s and things became digital um but it was a great training ground for me to be able to read and uh and do this really complicated program and um yeah and i i got to be a part of it um they made me very um let me know how grateful they were that the program was so uh, successful Yeah. And where were you at this point? Were you in LA at this point? I was, yeah. We were living in Los Angeles. It was before I had a child. I wound up having my daughter in the, in the 90s, 1997. You know, my life changed. I got into, out of radio, into voiceover, award shows, doing promo, um, and trying to navigate this tricky field at a time where there weren't connectivity between people like there is now, yeah. you know, with all these online groups and people that you can just go online and ask a question if you're having a problem with your equipment or with, you know, rates or anything. We didn't have that. You know, you yeah. had an agent, they helped you get the work, and you did it. When I worked for radio stations, I would literally have to go to a recording studio and send reel-to-reel tapes back. And <laughs> once everything became digital, life changed. And it's uh, it's been great, but again, it gets more complicated because now everyone with a USB mic and a laptop thinks uh, they can do voiceover. Yeah. Well, what about coaching then? You know, that that does separate the men from the boys sometimes in terms of who's taking it seriously. Did you get a lot of coaching when you were transitioning out of the radio? I definitely tried to study with whoever I had heard gave a great voiceover class. Uh, Michael Bell for animation. I would train with Maurice Tobias for promo Mm. and trailers. Um, Different people for different areas of of voiceover. I never stopped training. I I still have coaches when I'm trying to figure out how I want to approach a new project. Um, I'll reach out for some support. Because otherwise, as you know, we we live in a bubble in a vacuum, and yeah. you know we don't get all the interaction that we would like. But we have to be self-sustaining, and that's the fun part, I think. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so let me just tell the listeners the kind of shows that you've announced for because it's an incredibly impressive list. Uh, so you have done live announce for the Tony Awards, the Emmys, the Oscars, the Kennedy Center Honors, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, EMA Environmental Media Awards, uh, Directors Guild Awards, Academy Honors, and SAG Patron of the Artists Awards. So you're hugely um, experienced in this area of the industry. So I really want to now zero in on just this genre a little bit and spend some mm-hmm. time on it. So you said the first, was it the first live announced gig you got was was the Oscars? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. Isn't that wow. crazy? <laughs> right. Let's just go right to the top. It was the opportunity that came. <laughs> Listen, th- what we've learned about the entertainment industry um, is that they tend to be reactive, not proactive. And so no one had thought of putting a woman into that role until the Academy Awards created the Year of the Woman in 1994. Right. 94? Gosh, now I'm getting confused when it started. But anyway, so it was Year (laughs) of the Woman. It was the 65th Academy Awards. And yes, it was 93. I can confirm that. And uh, they wanted a woman to announce that they were honoring women that year. And it Mm. was very novel and interesting. And by having booked it, there was really only about 10 guys that do these shows. And I became the first woman. So then I became the first woman because I was vetted for most of the shows, all of the shows that you just spoke of. Um, Mm. I've done the Emmys. I did them five times. Um, The SAG Awards. I've done AFI Awards. And now that door has been kicked wide open and you hear all different kinds of women doing them. Yeah, it sounds, obviously you've worked very hard in your career and, you know, you're very talented, but also, like you said, with the Outliers book, you were in the right place at the right time. You know, you were... Mm -hmm. You had the right sort of voice characteristics, of course, but you were in L.A. and you had the opportunity to audition for that. So that played a part, too. Um, So do you remember your audition for the Oscars? Do you remember how that went? Obviously, it went well. (laughs) Yeah, I do. It was uh, walking into their office in Century City and being handed copy. And a couple of minutes later, they invited me into the office and they said, can you read that? We're going to put it to picture. And uh, I just picked up the card and went into my voice that apparently became that voice that I used for the Oscars. (laughs) I'd never done it before. And I went live from Los Angeles. It's the Academy Awards. (laughs) And it it. it worked. Um, I found my voice for it. It was very natural. It wasn't something I had to think about or wonder about how am I going to say it? Is it going to be here? It just happened. And so therefore, I think they felt it was very organic. And Mm. I don't know, it was really, really a special moment in my life. That's for sure to do the audition. And it wasn't until they said to me, when we go live to half a billion people, how will you feel? Yeah. And yeah, I didn't, I think they needed to know the answer. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm live on the radio every day. So when I open the microphone, I'm only speaking to one person and I'll be fine. And uh, I think that was what did it for them. I think they knew they didn't have to be nervous. 
Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you, because it's one thing to be able to do the voice, but it's doing it under the pressure that you're under. And of course, your radio background really Mm -hmm. eased their concerns to some degree, but it is a whole different ballgame. It eased mine, too. I mean, because I had had already done those 10,000 hours of opening up the microphone and being myself. Right. So I had that mastery. I didn't realize it. And I never thought I was doing it to attain some, uh, you know, mastery at all. It was just my life and I was loving it. But now that I look back, I can say, yeah, I guess I had so much of a comfort factor that when I was placed in front of a live microphone, I didn't stumble. Not to get in your head about it, but does it ever cross your mind while you're doing it that oh my God, I'm voicing the Oscars right now. <laughs> well, I think I'm always in a, a, a state of gratitude when I'm yeah. in that environment and, and getting to be a part of something like that that is so grand. And there, it literally takes a city, like a city of people descend in that area to make this show happen from stagehands and you know stage managers and camera people, lighting and designers and... Um, wardrobe people and makeup and directors and producer. It's it's really an enormous production, and we all just have to be our best, and then we get to have a great show. So everyone steps up and and does what they are there to do under incredible pressure. But the fact that you're not the only one under pressure, you're part of yeah. an entire team that's under the exact same pressure and crazy things can happen so i think that's the comfort factor these directors and producers get when they know people that have experience and are the best at what they do that they'll bring it to their show it's almost like a theater performance in a way because you're part of a team and it's a lot obviously it's live in front of an audience um but there's that sense of camaraderie as, as as well absolutely yeah, they take a, a this picture um, during our rehearsal process, like a couple of nights before the Oscars, and it's really cool. So there's you can see on the stage, it looks like it's a couple of hundred people. Yeah, um, and we're the essential team. I think I've and, seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, what particular skills, particular to this genre of voiceover, mm-hmm. do you need to have to do this kind of work? Well, an ability to read quickly and enunciate and not panic if you stumble. And I think that's where the radio training or if you do improv or if you're you have a little bit of some stand up ability, you know, and you can be funny. I think those are the kinds of people that even if you stumble, you just stay in the moment with it. And you can either, you know, as the announcer, you don't usually make a joke about it. You just sort of, you know, fix yourself like I had mispronounced an Academy Award winning couple who won an award from Yugoslavia or something. And I, yeah. I, as I said the name, I knew that I was mispronouncing it. So, yeah. And so that's that conversation you're talking about. And it's a dangerous thing to do because how can you have a conversation and your lips are moving and you're speaking <laughs> at the same time? But so part of my brain said, no, fix that. And I just said, um, oh, well, of course, that would be so-and-so and so-and-so. And I just quickly repeated their names and said them correctly because they just won an Oscar. It was the yeah. least I could do was to make sure I got their names right. 
Well, that was nice of you because you took the hit on that because no one would, pro- <laughs> no one else would probably have. That known. is true, but you know what? I think for me, I would have felt terrible if I made myself not look bad and someone's name wasn't properly pronounced that just won an Oscar. Their mother was watching, you know? Yeah. You have to stay very calm under pressure as well. You know, I mean, and very even when calm things go wrong. And in the moment, like you have to be on page. You can't be looking ahead in your book. Oh, when do I talk again? Where is that? You have to stay on page because you never know what can happen. And if something happens, they might need to go to you for something. And so you need to be listening in the moment and ready, uh, not only with the words that you already know you're supposed to say, but just in case anything else, you know, is needed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the job, and that's what I've learned over the years, uh, um, how to do this work. And so I do like to coach it. I do like to teach people if they want to know more about how the job works, and we also talk about how you can do it on a local level from where you are, how you start doing this kind of work. Yeah, I actually know Helen Morgillan comes to our meetup group uh, every every other week, and she did an event in Philly that you trained her for. Um, she yes. was singing your praises. Ah, oh, what did she say? I want to hear. She just said it was it really set her mind at ease because it's a nerve wracking thing to do when you've never done it, as you know for right. well. Right. Um, but spending some time working with you, uh, you gave her a lot of preparation and, uh, you know, you, you told her what to expect at the event mm-hmm. itself and mm-hmm. a few little mm-hmm. techniques. So that was very, very helpful for her. And I think she did a really great job as well. So, you know, congrats to yeah, you Yeah, and she was doing an international um, police yeah. affiliation recognition thing. So there were cities and people, uh, people's names that were extremely challenging you know not too unlike an oscars where when you have your international documentaries and you know it's like names you and places you've never seen before some of them and i knew she uh she was going to do great because she really did her homework and hopefully what i told her gave her that comfort factor so that she could just settle in and do the job at hand without worrying about what could happen I talk about all the things that can happen, you know, yeah. and if that happens, then you do this or, you know, what, something like that. Yeah, I think it was, it was great for that. It was really helped her to uh, calm down because <laughs> everyone, everyone's going to be nervous at something like that. So you mentioned there's some preparation, obviously with, with big awards show, you're not probably going to get the, I'm assuming you don't get the winners in advance. You don't know who's coming, who's going to be winning. Uh, now, you know, we don't know that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we I all learned assuming. that from that year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. No, we really yeah. don't know. And that's yeah. how the La La Land uh, Moonlight debacle yeah. happened. But um, now that can never happen again because we will have a third person from the accounting firm uh, sitting in the truck with the director. And so if something looks like it's off, you know, he'll say, no, 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 that's wrong. Like, say they say the wrong name. That person in the truck would say, that's not correct. So they wouldn't call for my winner walk-up. They wouldn't you know, follow them to the stage, we would do something to correct it exactly in that moment. Wow. So can you can you talk about that moment when that happened? Yeah, what do you want to know? How? When did you first know, and what was your reaction? Well, I just saw something weird was unfolding, 
And so I sat back down in my chair because basically I had said my last announce. It was the we do best uh, uh, you know movie of the year, and that goes to the producers. And so once I introduce or say their winner walk up and who's yeah. accepting on behalf of this film, um, I'm done. But I saw there was some confusion, and I sat back down and put my headphones on and just let the director tell the camera people what to do and how to stay. It was amazing. Usually they pull out wide and you they cover it so you can't really see what's happening on the stage when yeah. something goes wrong. But our director is so phenomenal, Glenn Weiss. He just told the camera guys, get in there. Let's, you know, let's get this <laughs> figured out. And, of course, the stage manager went and ran and brought the correct envelope, and it was given, and the producer from Moonlight fixed it in the moment there. And it was really an incredible moment. But yeah. luckily, I don't think those will happen again. No. What was the mood like backstage after the after the show ended? Was it what was it like? Weird. It was weird. Yeah. Usually it's a very celebratory and you know, I want to go to the ball, I want to go and it I just wanted to go to the hotel, have a drink and go to bed. <laughs> Curl up it in the It was very position. strange. Yeah. Well, when a correct announcement is made, <laughs> um, how do you know the winner? Do you are you listening out for the for the person on stage announcing correct. the winner? And then we're then... waiting. Yes, that envelope is handed on the stage. When it's open, that's when the world, including us, knows. Yeah. And so we listen. Tina, who writes the winner walk up copy for each nominee, she sits to my right, and we both listen to what the presenter says. And she points to the little paragraph that she wrote that I read about that particular nominee yeah. that just won. Yeah. So you've got someone to your right-hand side the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do the show without Tina. Tina Canizaro DeBone is the script writing supervisor and live announcer wrangler. <laughs> right. She's great. She's a wonderful person to work with to get through these shows. So we mentioned a little while ago about... Uh, some help you did with Helen with her prep. So what kind of prep do you need to do for, I mean, it could be the Oscars, Emmys, whatever, any of mm -hmm. these shows. Go through the names. Mm -hmm. Make sure you know how to pronounce all the names. Um, and get some background on the films or the things that you're presenting. Um, have a, a deeper knowledge of, of what the content of what you're um, announcing is about. Because mm -hmm. it will just... It will marry you more to, you know, each nominee. And every time you introduce a presenter for a particular award, you're just that much more invested in the excitement of, you know, ooh, and here's the next award. Yeah. You know, nominated in the category of blah, blah, blah. The nominees are, and the award goes to, and it's live. It's exciting. Um, I think it's just, you just have to find your place within this, you know, the context of what it is you're doing. Yeah. And and where are you situated throughout this? I mean, obviously, it's different kind of places depending on the different venue. Different but... places in different shows. You know, it depends on what area they're able to find a space for the announcer. We need it somewhat quiet, so, uh, and preferably isolated to some degree. At the Tonys, I'm up in a Rockette dressing room. They oh. cover the mirrors <laughs> with blankets, <laughs> and that's oh, where perfect. they build my 
my station. At the Kennedy Center, I'm in the carpenter's closet. They hang big packing blankets around all of the things that carpenters use and um, build my station right there. At the Oscars, we do it. We're in a a truck, you know. There's a bunch of trucks. Yeah, we each are in a different kind of truck, and we're behind the Dolby. Yeah. So, yeah, you would think there would be, like, a particular room that they bring you to, and here's where the <laughs> announcer is. Very rarely. Yeah, it's <laughs> where they put you in the stationary closet or wherever it is. Right, exactly. <laughs> just to stick with the Oscars, just because it's obviously the, this huge event that everyone's fascinated by, um, mm-hmm. how does your day run on an Oscars day? I'd love to know mm. your process and, you know, how you take care of your voice or prep or, you know, that whole process. Okay. Well, taking care of my voice starts way before we get to the Oscars. It's about Mm. diet and avoiding sugar and dairy. And I eat very lean, if anything, um, on a show day. It starts early. We've got to show up early. And then we fill the house um, with a rehearsal uh, audience because we run the show in the morning from like 9 a.m. to 1230 or 1 in the afternoon. And we run it for uh, guests. Um, it's called our dress rehearsal. And all of the stars have to come through that are presenting. Everyone's got to come through. And mm. then we break down for lunch and get ready. And then don't forget, in L.A., we're three hours behind. So by 5 o'clock, we're going live to the world. But yeah. actually, it's earlier than that because you have red carpet shows. And, you know, things start in L.A., I would say, around one o'clock, two o'clock, people start arriving, and yeah, and then it goes till even if the show goes to midnight, it's nine o'clock here, and we're done. Wow. Um, but so yeah, so you rehearse, then you have some downtime, and then I get dressed. I do like to wear a dress and feel like I'm there. Um, I walk the red carpet. It yeah. it just gives me a, a sense of the excitement of the night. And then I usually go back to my booth <laughs> and I get into, I get out of the dress and into something really comfy during the show. And I do the show. Um, a lot of water. Don't really drink too much other than water for, okay. uh, for the entire day. Wow. I love getting that uh, sense of glamour onto this podcast because we don't have it very often. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you got to feel like you're there. It's the Oscars, you know. Yeah. I've seen Melissa Disney who's done them and Ellen Kay and uh, the women who do these big shows. You get dressed. It, it, it adds to your performance, I think, if you feel like you really are there and you're, you're part of the deal. But one of the things that I do um, after I walk the red carpet to get back to my booth and uh, settle down knowing we're going to start in about an hour or so. I like to meditate and just get really calm and uh, stay calm and ready to go. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I'd like to ask a little, you know, we're getting close to the end here. There's been some format changes recently. They had someone, um, I think they were just off the side of the stage and they were on camera and they had like an improv uh, sort of a comedian guy announcing on right. I think it was the Emmys this year. Um, what Correct. are your thoughts on that? Was last the, year's Emmys? Mm-hmm. Uh, last year's Emmys. Yeah, sorry. What are your thoughts on on these? Are they are they gimmicks? Are they interesting to you? Do they excite you? Or I don't know. You know, I don't know if I should be offended. No one's ever asked me to be on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, other other artists have been on camera. I have not. 
Um, I think the job is challenging enough as it is. I don't mm. think I need a camera pointed at me while I'm trying to read from a script. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, I would do it if they wanted me to, but I don't. Uh, you know, I, I does it make it visually more interesting for the viewers, and does it help with the ratings? I don't know. I think we'd have to look at that. They didn't have a host for the Emmys, so there was probably more weight on the announcer, right? Do you think that's a, a future Correct. direction? Correct, and we didn't have a host this last year at the Oscars, so yeah. that was a lot of work, but I loved it. That was like the lifetime of an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Okay. Um, I think I just flipped that words. I think I meant to say an opportunity of a lifetime. And I said oh, a lifetime oh. of an opportunity. <laughs> Wait, there's an actual word for that when you flip your words. I got that oh, in my yeah. genius word email the other day. So, um, oh, but wait, wait, before you f- pick that up, I want to finish this thought. Um, I'll go for oh, it. Oh, yeah. Jamie, here. I just found it. Spoonerism. Yeah. It's a oh, transposition yeah. of the initial letters of two words, but I actually just swapped the words. Lifetime yeah, of an we, opportunity, opportunity of a lifetime. Anyway. We knew what you meant. We knew what you meant. Yeah, sure you It's not did. like you announced the wrong winner at the... <laughs> right. No, no, picture. that would never be my fault. Don't blame me. <laughs> yeah. So um, this afternoon I was speaking to my friend Karin Gilfrey. You know Karin, I believe. Oh, I love um, Karin, yes. She's great. And uh, I was saying that I'm going to be interviewing you later today and i just jotted down a few things that she said because it was so pertinent Mm -hmm. to some of the stuff that we've been talking about actually and she said she's a female vo pioneer she's the promo voice for nightline the first woman to do that for a news show she took over announcing the oscars from a long-term male announcer and more companies want authoritative women now in part because of her so do you feel like you've You've sort of paved the way for for women in uh, not just announcing, but in promo and other areas of the industry too? Um, I would say because of the timing of when I started and and, uh, where we are at this point in the voiceover world, yeah, I mean, I I guess I get attached to opportunities for women increasing. Hmm. Um, Yeah, it's actually the thrust of the TED Talk that I gave in um, Fargo, North Dakota this summer, which it should be released any day. They've told me that it it is going to come out, um, so it'll be a TEDx talk. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't go into something or think, well, I'm a leader or I'm this. You know, you just do what you need to do for you to do what you do at the best level that you can and if in fact the timing of life in the world is that you've opened doors and you've made it easier for someone else to now step into that role then you know that's an honor yeah yeah and you i believe you absolutely have done that um okay so to wrap things up uh, what advice would you give people who wanted to get into this line of work um what steps do you think they should take obviously you ha- you have coaching so that's that's definitely um one one way of getting into this but uh, is there anything you would advise people do to to get kickstart this for for them well i think um Obviously, get coaching. That would be a good start. I think that one of the things you can do 
is to volunteer. There are always, if this is what you want to do, say you have children, say they go to school and they need to have a fundraiser to raise money for whatever programs they need more money for, volunteer, be the MC, be an announcer, get used to speaking live in front of people. Um, I think that that's a great place to start. And if you're living in a town where you have conferences coming in, once you have enough training and you create a, a live announce demo, I would make sure that all of the venues that might utilize uh, a live announcer has my tape because mm-hmm. sometimes the company that comes into a space that's putting on um, – some sort of an event. They usually come in with an announcer, but you never know. Things can happen. Or maybe they get there and like, oh, this announcer isn't right. We need it. And you're local and you can do it. Um, It's a great way to... And and I do know that some of these P2P companies, if you're not registered with a, you know, don't have an agent, um, there are live opportunities that are put out there. They may not pay fantastic, but... Once when you're starting, I say just get the work. Don't worry about yeah. how much you're going to get paid for it. And I'm speaking specifically in live. I'm not going to talk about Fiverr and commercial rates or anything like right. that. I'm just talking about opportunities to get out in front of people because nothing can replace you standing either live behind the curtain or in front of the curtain you know, trying to get a crowd's attention and getting them to do what you tell them to and to sit down when you tell them to sit down and, um, you know, help people raise money and um, entertain people. And, yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of opportunities. And I think if you want to do it, Jamie, people find their way, you know. It's like, oh, my gosh, I wanted to do Live Announce. I took a class, and you'll never believe it. Someone called me and said, you know, they're – graduating class needs an introduction of all of the honorees or something you know you never know yeah absolutely and it's one of those genres that you do have to do to find out if you're any good at it and if you enjoy it and if you know you've got the nerve to do it um and presumably the more you do it the sort of desensitized you get to those nerves and the pressure is that yeah to the fears of course like anything once you've done something you're it's not as uh, you know intimidating or overwhelming but the truth is about a lot of the work that i do that's live a lot of it is pre-recorded and i'm not even there and they just play it back so that's when you really can hone your performance by, you know, making sure every introduction is perfect and sounding the way you want it to. But there's nothing like waiting for someone to go and cue announce and you just got to yeah. start talking. Yeah, that either sounds exhilarating or terrifying, depending on your personality. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes both at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, fantastic. So where do people go to find out more about you? And if they want to have coaching, how do, how do they get in touch? Oh, okay. Well, it's Randy Thomas VO. So that's R-E-N-D-Y-T-H-O-M-A-S-V-O.com. And uh, you can actually book me there. If I get enough inquiries about it, which would be randy at randythomasvo.com, um, maybe I'll put together a um, an online class so it's not as expensive as studying with me privately. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. You come to towns and cities as, as well, right? I've seen you do I events. I do. I do. Yeah. I haven't been to Philly in a while. Oh, well. <laughs> maybe we should figure that out. <laughs> maybe next summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Um, that was really fascinating, and uh, thanks for bringing the glam. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Thanks as always to our guests, our sponsor JMC Demos, and to Backstage Magazine. And a special shout out goes to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at VO School Podcast. And for early access to episodes and for other perks, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com/slash VO School. I'll see you again next time. <laughs>